0: Get your advanced PhD in WoW from Floor and Decor. If you're a pro, you're already an expert in tile, wood, and stone. And with Floor and Decor's job site delivery, their free design services, and pro rewards that actually reward you, your business is set to grow from one client to the next. Floor and Decor isn't just a couple of aisles, it's an entire store designed to help your business boom. It's Floor and Decor. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Have you been languishing in the same role at work? Frustrated that you haven't been promoted to a higher position with more pay and different responsibilities? My guest can help you level up in your career. His name is Randy Ornstein, and he's the author of Grow, The Essential Guide to Getting Promoted. Today on the show, Randy explains why getting promoted is more beneficial to your paycheck than getting a raise, and his case for why you should stick with working for the same company for a long time. We then talk about the things you need to do so that management thinks of you the next time a higher position opens up. We discuss how promotable employees participate in meetings, execute the communication, study their work, and develop best practices. We also talk about when to bring up the idea of being promoted to your boss and a couple of the challenges that can come with advancing up the ranks. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awim.is slash getpromoted. Randy Ornstein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So you got a new book out. It's called Grow, The Essential
1: Guide to Getting Promoted. What led you to write a book about getting promotions at work? Yeah, it's been a very exciting process um, writing this book. But throughout my career, mainly in beverages, I was promoted nine times over my career. And seven of those times at Anheuser-Busch within a 15-year period. And for me, after a few of those promotions when I was younger, it became a game to me of like, how, how could I continue to grow up the corporate ladder and be successful at this amazing company? And earlier on in my career, when I was low 20s, I would see that the vice presidents had like their own offices and like even gold plates that had their names on it. And I was like, oh my God, how could I ever get to that level? I didn't, I didn't think I had it in me. And I think I kept getting more confidence when I got promotions early on. I don't think I was doing anything spectacular, but I guess I was doing enough to wow my boss and be the best person for the next position. And so as I've moved up the corporate ladder at Anheuser-Busch and people started to notice, I was periodically asked by this guy who led this program where he hired roughly 30 college graduates every year to join Anhe- Anheuser-Busch. They would go through a six-month training program. And at the end of the program, there was a graduation. And I was asked to give the keynote speech to talk about like, how I moved up and got promoted at Anheuser-Busch and some tips to succeed. And I, I did this speech for a few times throughout my career. I would usually have just five tips. I'd have one slide, with like, here's five tips I learned at Anheuser-Busch to get promoted. And one would be data is power. And I would talk about how I use data effectively with my time working with Walmart or Kroger or Target. And one would be be persistent. And i talk about how I was very persistent with the people that I work with. And years later, those individuals would come up to me Um, at different meetings or happy hours and say, Randy, I still remember those five tips that you gave me and they've really helped me throughout my career. And, you know, it happened over and over again and it just stuck. And it got me thinking I should formalize this much better and write a book about them and share them with the world.
0: Yeah. No, I think it's interesting. You point out at the beginning of your book, a lot of career books and business how-to books and articles, they focus on how to get raises at work, which is, you know, that's that's good. Mm -hmm. But you make the case that there's a benefit to thinking about how to get a promotion instead of just thinking about how to get a raise. So what are the benefits of thinking about and pursuing promotions within your company instead of just thinking about how can I get a raise?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, promotions are more monetarily valued at. So, usually a promotion means that you get in the range of a 10, 15, 20% raise versus your annual raise that you might get is usually between two and 4%. So think about it. If you were to just get a raise in your current job, it would take you like four, five years to get to the same value had you moved up one level in your company. Plus when you get a promotion and you move up, you're typically getting a bigger bonus and more equity in that company as well. And so a promotion means moving up a level, getting more responsibility, potentially managing people as well. And you know, if, if money is one of those factors that you're looking to do, you're going to make a lot more money in a promotion than just a, a regular annual raise. And I imagine too, it gives
0: you new opportunities for growth. You get to do things you didn't get to do at your previous level. And there's value in that as well for some people.
1: Exactly. I mean, you want to understand more aspects of your business versus just maybe the the niche that you're in today. And so typically as you are promoted, more responsibility, uh, maybe more hours, but you're also working with more leadership. And when you work with more leadership that are also not just in your department, but different departments that gives you more opportunities to grow as new jobs open up. So I've seen
0: articles, I'm sure other people have seen these articles too, about how employees should switch employers more often because it'll increase their chances of making more money, right? So the idea is if you switch employers, you'll usually get a pay bump. But you highlight there are benefits of sticking with a single company and climbing up the corporate ladder. What are those benefits you think?
1: Yeah, I I definitely disagree with those articles that you should continue to move to different companies and get more money. And while maybe that's true that you could get a bigger salary, you're building no loyalty with the companies that you work with. And when you constantly switch companies every two, three years, you're not even getting enough knowledge in that current company to really deep dive and figure out everything you need to do to be successful. When I interview people um, for different jobs and I look at their resume and I see that they had a job every two years and maybe five jobs over 10 years with five different companies, I'm I'm not going to hire that person because why should I bring on a person for just two years knowing that after two years they're going to get bored and move somewhere else? And one aspect is maybe they're moving to different companies because they can't get promoted in the current company. And their only way to grow is to switch companies, which is not what I look for in in a team member or someone to join my team. So uh, I'm looking for loyalty. When I'm looking to hire someone, I'm thinking in five, 10 years, could they eventually take my role? You're always trying to find better talent. And and you do build, in the end, long-term money because the longer you stay with the existing company, the more equity... Stock options that you would build within that company. If you left every few years, most likely the equity that you potentially would have got would not be worth anything because they have not been vested in time or worth anything. And so, definitely value building your career, staying with one, two companies throughout. What would you say to the argument I've I've seen too, I've read
0: of people like, well, I'm not going to be loyal to a company because that company would just lay me off if they had to.
1: So, why should I? Have that. What what would you say to that? What would be your response to that? I mean, yes, layoffs have been frequent, but I think it's like not everyone gets laid off. And there's always like strategies of like, I'm not going to be laying off like my best talent. And so if you are a strong worker, you're building good relationships, the chances of you getting laid off are going to be much slimmer than others. And so if you believe in the company that you work for, what you need to do and you think there's good career mobility for you then I would stick it out but if you're joining a company and you're just not excited then yeah maybe there's an opportunity to move somewhere else but to move to companies every 2 to 3 years is just not a, a recipe for success
0: yeah I mean I imagine it takes it could take 5 10 years to really understand what the company's doing for you to actually have success. It's like, you see this with, um, I get really frustrated with sports teams. They'll hire a coach, and then if the coach doesn't produce results in a year, they fire them. And I'm like, man, you need two, three, maybe even more than that to establish a system, introduce the system through all the levels, not just the players, but with the rest of the staff. It it could take five years before you can turn a team around. I hate how it's just like, well, you didn't give us results
1: right away, you're done. But it takes time to get results. Exactly. And it's the same in business. I'm building a team right now at GoPuff where I work and I brought in some really good talent back in the end of 2021. And it takes them six months plus to get used to the systems that we have and the changes versus their prior company. And so now the bulk of my team has been here a year, year and a half. We're like just getting our groove and now we're having a really good year. And so, you know, in business, it takes time too. You got to build the team. You got to train them. You know, there's always going to be a little bit of turnover where you're constantly training, but it it takes time, but not everyone thinks that way. And they're just reacting quicker than than they want. And and that just is a is not a recipe for success.
0: All right. So let's talk about what someone can do to increase their chances of getting a promotion. You cite research that job performance is one of the factors most associated with moving up in a job. So in the first part of your book, you give tips on better performance, doing the the everyday things of your job excellently. So let's talk about some of the areas of work you can get better in, starting with meetings. A lot of people, they hate meetings, but they're sometimes a necessary part of corporate life. So what can you do to get more out of your meetings so you can get promotions?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm in meetings all day. <laughs> you know, it's like straight, uh, sometimes i don't even have a break to eat lunch it's the way we live the world we live you know we're half virtual half in person and so could be sitting on zoom calls throughout the day and it's important that number one you speak up you're not just like another person on that zoom call or in person that's half listening half working and you're adding no value so it's really important that if you're in a meeting you're paying attention you're listening to the speaker You're asking questions or giving comments or providing feedback on how to improve. So the people know that you're there, you're adding value, you're listening, you're learning, you're changing processes. You know, I have many team meetings with my team, usually a Monday and Friday team meeting, and then sporadic ones throughout the week. And I know which people speak up every time because they do it. And I also notice which people haven't said a a thing in six weeks, eight weeks. And you know, that's in my head as we do employer reviews in the next cycle. You know I'm asking, why aren't they speaking up? Are, are they even listening to what I say? And so I think it's a pretty easy thing. You'll get noticed as you add value in meetings. And so you got to pay attention. You get off, stop working. Think of questions to ask. Even if you can't get a question out, if you're on Zoom, type it into the chat or even send a note to the organizer after the meeting. And same in person, raise your hand and speak up. You know, Don't be afraid and just do it. And
0: of course, you want to speak up, but like provide value. You just don't want to speak up just to take up airspace. And right. That can get annoying if you do that, yeah. It,
1: it could be. I think do it once in a while, that's fine, even if you're agreeing with something. But you, you also don't need to agree every time to everything that people say. You could push back. I value the people that don't agree with what I say but they also then provide a solution, a better solution to what I said. And I appreciate that. Yeah, you talk about in the book, one of
0: the frustrating things you have is when you have a meeting where you're looking for feedback, you're looking for like devil's advocates saying, what's wrong with this thing? And no one says anything. You're like, oh, geez, this is not helpful, guys. I need you to push back against me.
1: Yeah, I think it's okay. Like I'm not all-knowing, nor is anyone all-knowing. We all have diverse backgrounds. We all have unique experiences that we could add. I'm usually giving my perspective, which could completely be wrong, and I own that. And I'm expecting the team to challenge me if I have something that I'm presenting that's incorrect or inaccurate, or if they have a better way. Like That's the only way we're going to get better, is if the cross-functional or the diverse group comes together and builds together versus like one person saying how it is, and that's it.
0: I think a lot of people might be afraid of speaking up or being contradictory because, well... I don't want to cause a scene or it might upset my boss.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I, I think you just got to kind of throw caution to the wind and just go for it. And you can do this in a collegial way. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Like you said, point out the issue and then propose a solution.
1: Right. You know, I, I think the, the younger people are less apt to speaking up because usually they're in lower roles and they might think that only the more senior people need to speak up. That's 100% not true. Uh, I have different age groups, different genders on my team, different experiences, and I want to hear from all types because even the younger consumer or the younger person on our team has a completely different experience than someone that's twenty years older with kids and a family, and versus the single. You know, when we deal with my line of business where I, I manage the alcohol business at GoPuff, our core consumers are a lot younger than the average, and so. It's important to hear from anyone, no matter their level, no matter their age. And you just got to do it. It's just, yeah, even if you're shy, it's important. If you truly want to get noticed and move up the ladder, you can't be a silent person just sitting in meetings, half paying attention and not adding value.
0: Okay. So meetings, you might hate them, but they're a necessary part of your job. So get the most out of them. Another part of people's job that they hate is communications. So like email, phone calls, Slack, text. But you said you got to excel at this stuff. So what's your advice on managing
1: work communication? I think it's like staying on top of your your messages. And we all get a lot of emails. I, I think we get less phone calls than ever. It's now text, Slack, and email. I know Walmart had a rule of thumb called the sundown rule, where every buyer was requested to respond to their suppliers by the end of the day. So there's like a 24-hour rule. You know, I've never operated with the rule, nor has any company I worked with. I think it's common courtesy, though, that when a supplier or an intolerant person is contacting you for something or asking you for something, even if it's a no, you should respond back and. 24, 48 hours versus that person constantly re-emailing them every few days and you're just deleting it or not responding. It's it, To me, it's common courtesy. I would expect the same if I'm trying to sell to someone or sending an email to someone. I want to make sure that I get a response back in a timely manner. Certainly, there's always issues where someone's on vacation or someone's really working on a busy project, but you know, one way to get around this, if you do have a very busy schedule, is schedule a meeting with yourself for 30 minutes a day or every two days, where you're literally focused on responding to the communications that you got. I think Slack is a little bit more instantaneous. Um, we use Slack for internal, and so like if you hadn't respond to a Slack message from your boss in 24 hours, you know that would be a no-no. You're you're expected to have Slack up on your screen. And responding all the time doesn't mean you need to respond within a minute, but you just got to stay on top of it. And that's how we get business done. If you're not communicative and you're not following up, it's very hard. It's just got to be part of the way that you work and you have to manage that responsibly.
0: And you give some advice on how to manage this stuff. So there's like tips on putting acronyms in the headline so that people mm-hmm. know, well, this is just for information. So you don't have to respond. That's another. You, you don't want to do the thing where it's like a one-word response. Thanks. You just waste everyone's time with that. And it's right. wasting
1: your time responding with thanks. I'm not a fan of someone responding thanks or one word as a response. And, and then like five other people then do it. And now you have like six emails that are just wasting your time. And so... If you are going to respond to an email where you're writing, thank you for the information. Explain why you're thanking them. You go a little bit more in depth. Or if you do you have like an important email that you're sending to a a client or your boss, make sure that in the header it says um, you know action. I need a response, and then highlight in the email like exactly which question, just so you could cut through a little bit of the clutter, especially if you need something urgent. So definitely the way you write your emails don't write a whole novel you know bullet point them better and if you need something urgently responded to put a note in the header yeah the bullet points i i do that with emails and i keep the bullet points if it's like more
0: than 3 it's probably I need to get on the phone and discuss this. because it's It solved the problem a lot faster, just getting on the phone yeah. and just hashing it out, instead of having the person respond to like 10 different bullet points. And you're, you're a big proponent of the telephone too. If you need something right away or the problem is too complex for Slack or email, yeah. don't be afraid of the telephone. And that might be hard for younger workers who aren't, you know, it's not something they do a lot, but the phone can be really powerful.
1: Yeah, you sort of just said it a minute ago. Like, why would you need to waste time writing you know, a long email, it'll take you an hour to write it versus just picking up the phone and talking for five minutes. You just saved yourself a bunch of time. And in Slack, and we use it internally, but we could quickly Zoom or huddle with with internal people. External people, you know, a little tougher. You got to text or call. But yeah, definitely I've noticed that over the years, the people that, at least from my suppliers that call me, are on the older side because that's like what they're used to doing. And the the younger suppliers, they're more for email. So phone is not lost. It's important. It's important to build relationships. And you just got to do it.
0: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a thoroughly modern design. The exterior has been reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, and the interior is built with robust materials and integrity. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. Durability has been tested to the extreme. Cargo capacity means more room for your gear. And there's been powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system that keeps you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering, and the Defender is ready for a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further, the Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. That's LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that. ZipRecruiter. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. So be good at communication. That will make your boss's job easier. Staying on top of your communication will get you noticed. Another thing you talk about is studying. You have to study a lot Mm -hmm. on the job studying. Uh, What do you mean by that? And how will that help someone get a promotion?
1: Yeah, definitely... Knowing your numbers is like point number one. So if you're in a sales role, let's pretend I'm a supplier selling an iced tea brand. I want to make sure that I know all of the numbers of my performance. So what are my weekly sales? Which metro is growing the most? Uh, Which of the retailers am I in have the best performance? If I've been selling for a few years, how's my performance versus last year? What is my distribution what is my price point? How is it compared versus competition? And these are numbers that you should know if, if you're in an elevator with your boss and they're like, how's your performance or how's your business? You should be able to recite that in 30 seconds, a minute without saying, oh, let me get back to you. And if you say that, that's like a telltale sign that you don't know your business. Like You should be an expert on what you sell or what you manage. In my work, I, as I mentioned I manage the alcohol business at GoPuff. I need to understand how does beer perform versus wine versus spirits? And then every week, which of those three is growing faster than the others? And then if spirits is growing faster, is it coming from vodka or tequila? And then if the vodka is growing the most, then which brands is growing it? Is it Tito's or Svecca? And then you keep going down and then which market? And so every company that I've been a part of has had like a weekly performance review where you're usually reporting back to your management or boss about your performance, where are your gaps, and how you can improve them. And it's an it's really important that you understand the business that you work in. And so by doing that, you need to study. You should have, depending on the systems that you have, we have a tool called Looker where we have all these automated reports that we could pull up, and I could see all of my weekly sales. I could look at syndicated data like IRI or Nielsen to understand How my business is performing versus competition. And I set aside time every week to review those reports to make sure that I'm familiar because I'm constantly getting questions from management on what happened. And I want to be able to answer them. And I'm also constantly asking my team what happened as they even get more into the weeds. You know, the beer team's going to even get deeper into beer and they're going to provide me insights as well so that I could then be able to provide management if those questions are asked. So it's a huge, you know, for me, number one, it's it's like knowing your business, but you got to study to know your business and you, you just got to take the time to do it.
0: Okay. So this could apply if you're in sales, if you're a project manager, know the numbers. What's the status of your project? If a boss asks what's going on, you don't want to say, well, I don't know. You got to know that stuff. So study what's going on inside your company. But then also you talk about, you mentioned study what's going outside. What are trends that are happening in your area of expertise and how can you utilize that for your division or what you're in charge of?
1: A hundred percent. It's not even just looking at data, but if you know, if I use the example of selling an iced tea brand, I got to go to Whole Foods or Publix or Kroger, or different grocery stores or convenience stores when I have time, just to see what are they doing, what different brands are out there. I'm going on social media and seeing what people are drinking. The syndicated data helps you look at actual data to see which brands are growing faster than the average. And so it's really important not just to know your own business, but then what are your competitors doing if you have competitors as well? Because in the end, we all want to be the best. And so it's important that um, you understand what they're doing so you can beat them at their own game.
0: So the second half of your book, you talk about uh, going above and beyond the everyday stuff to get a promotion. And one of those ways you can go above and beyond is developing best practices for your company. So what do you mean by a best practice?
1: Yeah, a best practice is something that saves you time, saves you money, or brings in more dollars. And uh, it could be anything. It could be as simple as combining two Excel reports into one. It could be more complex as developing... Uh, working with your IT department to develop a new process that your suppliers use that uh, makes things move faster. You know, one example that I could think of on the team that I manage is a cost collection process that we have with our wholesalers for alcohol, where an uh, individual on my team developed like this monthly cost collection process through this JOT form where suppliers now could go in monthly and update costs. And it comes to us in the same manner every single time. Versus just telling our wholesalers to give us cost changes when something increases and we have all these different formats and it takes time to put it all together. And so we um, condensed the process and, and it was a free thing. Like it, you don't have to add, you don't have to create or put a budget together. It was just like something that we put together and now it reduces the time that it takes to accept these costs in half. And so A best practice is not always given to you. Like, I expect the team to come up with best practices that will help make their job easier. Sometimes it's given to you. Like, there could be a project given where we, like, hey, we need to reduce our budget by a million dollars, but grow our sales by a million dollars. You know, how would you do that? And then that's like a session. But I expect that you're constantly thinking of ways to make your job better, easier, smarter. So that you can work on new things to drive results. And I call that a best practice. All right.
0: So find problems within your company and solve them. Do you need a wait around? Like, should you ask for permission to start or should sometimes you just like, I see this issue. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna solve it right now and create a best practice for it.
1: Yeah, I think most of the times you don't need permission, assuming that it's like a no budget best practice. If the practice that you're putting together requires a budget, that definitely would need to get your management involved as that has to go through like a budget review process. And there needs to be checks and balances as well, and checkpoints to ensure that you're working through it and that the money that you received, you're actually putting to good use. Uh, But most of the times, and what I appreciate the most, if I'm meeting with someone on my team they've already showed me, they're like, hey, I saw this issue, here's what I did, and here's the result. Versus even the reverse, they're telling me of an issue, but they're not giving me a solution on how to fix it. And so, you know, the person that was proactive, that actually developed it, they already met with the team, they put it together, and here's the results. To me, that's a a person that is desired to, to move up the ladder.
0: Uh, you also talk about it's important for employees to get better at asking for things in order to get a promotion. Why is that?
1: Yeah, I, I think you you need to constantly be open with your boss. I, I would recommend that you have a, a weekly touch point with them where you're typically going over um, projects that you're working on. That's usually what you would do in that meeting. But then maybe once a month, you're talking more about your own individual performance and If there's an issue, like what do you need to fix that issue? And quite frankly, a lot of times, it's something that requires more funding. Maybe it's more IT help. Maybe it's a a headcount. If you don't ask for those things, it's hard for your management to know what you actually need. And uh, by asking and saying, here's what I need to be successful. And yes, it might cost money, but here's what I need. It makes you think, okay, this person really is trying to improve this process. And you need to ask for it. Like, Don't just sit there, do your job, and say, oh, I can't do that project or initiative because I don't have the resources. You need to speak up and ask for it. You might not get it every time. There's always things going on in the company that is tougher. But if you're vocal about it and you explain why you need it, the benefit from it, the ROI from it, I would say more than often, you'll get the yes to get those resources. And you would expect the same when you're in that same position as well from your people under you. You talk about the role mentors can play in helping secure promotions. What does that look like? Yeah, I think mentors are very important. And I think less and less companies today have a a true mentorship program. So it's really on you to find that mentor to help guide you, it's definitely not your boss. It's uh, either someone that you've looked up to throughout your career, or maybe it's someone that's moved to a different company, but maybe was your boss at the time. I think they will help you, especially if the mentor's in your own company, they could help open doors for you. So you could be probably a lot more open with them than your current line manager of like, this is what I... You know, I really wanted to try and join the supply chain or operations team, but I'm on sales, and it's hard for me to make the shift. And maybe that person could help introduce you to people, or or um, find connections for you, or introduce you to people outside of different organizations. I I just think that they could open up a lot more doors, assuming that they value the mentor-mentee relationship. They've also most likely built very strong relationships with other people. And I've had like three or four mentors throughout my career that nothing was like a a formal process where I would meet with them monthly. It was just like they were a mentor of mine. When I needed anything, I could call them or text them like, hey, do you have 15 minutes to talk about this? And they would give me advice. And I valued that advice. And now I'm able to pay it back. And I have different... Mentees, you could call it some in my current company, but some throughout prior companies that I've worked for that do the same thing. They ask me questions. They're like, Hey, you know, I'm thinking of leaving my current company and here's the jobs I'm looking at, or like I I've been in my role for three years. I want to get a promotion. What do I need to do to move up the ladder? And so I think it helps tone your skills, whether you're a mentor or a mentee. And then helps you in your career as now I manage people, I'm giving employer reviews, I'm able to use some of the skills I have of, of how I'm mentoring people in the same way.
0: Okay, so you don't want your boss to be your mentor, but how do you know or how do you figure out that someone could be a good mentor? I mean, are there traits or characteristics you're looking for in a potential
1: mentor? Well, I think it's got to be someone that you have a good relationship with that. Is not someone that maybe you think would be a good mentor, but every time you try and talk to them, they have no time for you. Like they need to make the time, they need to value the the mentor, mentee partnership. Like who do you connect with? Maybe you're at a, a team function out, you know, traveling and you just connect some with someone. Maybe you're both runners and you happen to run together in the mornings before meetings when you're traveling. It depends. Like you gotta build a connection and I think they should always be a level or two higher than you because you you want to, certainly you're trying to aspire to move up. You want to have someone that's got a little bit more experience that also knows more of the leadership because when you're trying to get a new job or you're applying for a new position within your company, that mentor could hopefully help you as well by talking to the hiring manager if they know them and putting in a good word for you even though that person might not have like directly worked with you every day.
0: You also talk about the importance of being flexible about where you live to increase your chances of getting promotion. How can that help you get a promotion?
1: Yeah, It certainly depends on your company. If your company only has one office and everyone lives in that one office, then usually relocating is not an option. But for a company like Anheuser-Busch that I worked for in the past, where we sell Anheuser-Busch products basically throughout the world, you need to be able to move um, sometimes to move to get promoted. I had to move to Bentonville, Arkansas to work with Walmart, the largest retailer out there. I could not have worked with that retailer if I didn't live in Arkansas. That was a demand by the retailer that their suppliers need to live there. And that was probably the best decision I've ever made in my career, moving to a town I'd never been to, but working with this amazing retailer that while stressful at times, is the leader, and I gain so much experience from it. And so, uh, you also gain a lot more experiences moving to different towns, whether they're small or large. Um, you're building more relationships as well with different people. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I moved a lot more when I was younger. I think I've moved seven times now. But now I live outside of Philadelphia. I, I have, you know, two kids that are in elementary school and. It would be tougher in my career right now to move for a job unless it really meant a significant increase in role, monetary value to make it worth it. It's not for everyone, but the companies that are national or global that have offices throughout the country, if you want to gain new experiences, one way to do that is to relocate where the office is.
0: Okay, let's say you've been doing all this stuff, right? You've been making the everyday excellent Going above and beyond by establishing best practices, getting the mentor, things like that. At what point do you bring up the idea of a promotion to your boss?
1: Well, it's definitely not after three months in that role. And quite frankly, that happens all too often. The person thinks, oh, I've been in role three months, I'm crushing it, I'm ready for the next step. But uh, you have to be strategic. So, you know, every company I've worked, For has had an annual performance review. So, certainly during that annual performance review, you should be talking about what you need to do to move to the next level. But periodically during your one on ones with bosses, you should also be bringing that up um, because you don't need to talk about this just once a year, but you also don't need to be talking about it once a week. So, depending on the style of your boss and how you work, every one, two months, you should be like gauging how am I doing? Am I doing all the right things? And then if you've been in enroll role two, three years and you see no signs that you're going to be promoted, you need to be vocal and like, what am I doing that is not causing me to move up? Or what should I be doing that you know to help? Especially if you see other people moving up that have been in role less than you. So you don't want to be that person that's every week when am I getting promoted when I'm beginning promoted? Cause then it gets annoying and then you get turned off, but it needs to be an ongoing uh, discussion, but excel on your job first. You know, after three, six months is not the time that's too soon.
0: Okay, And also be having these check-ins periodically throughout the year so your boss is aware of what you're doing. Is there documentation that you should be keeping track of just like on a daily basis so that when you go to that performance review, you can say, well, here are the things that I've done?
1: I think everyone does it differently. What I would advise is, um, and and I just did this like a month ago, we had our performance review process and you have to write down all of your accomplishments that you had. It's very hard to think of everything you did in 2022. And so, yes, if you want to have your own document that you're constantly updating with a best practice you implemented or a success that you had or something that you think would be valuable for that employer review, it would be helpful if you document it or save an email where you had like a very good response from your boss on so that when you do write your employer review, you're basically copying, pasting the information versus trying to think, and most likely you will forget things. And so I've never seen it as a formal process. It's up to you, depending on if you think you can remember or not, but I would definitely do that. I know you didn't discuss this in the book, but I just
0: thought about this. Let's say you get the promotion and your experience of getting promotions and then overseeing the promotions of employees that you oversaw. What are the biggest challenges you have when you first start off in your new position, in your new role in that promotion? What have you seen?
1: One big challenge is like the transition from old job to new job. Typically when you're in the new job, you're still doing work of the old job until they've hired a replacement. And then when they've hired the replacement, it's your responsibility to usually train that person and start moving your old work to that person. Because if you never do that, then your workload's just going to continue to grow. And so you need to do that. You need to like uh, again, depending on what type of role you're moving into, you got to shift. And as you move up, you got to start delegating. So when I give workout. To employees, especially um, my senior employees, I might give them a project, but I'm not expecting them to do a hundred percent of that project. I'm expecting them to then work with their team to do the project together. And I, I do see some people that have delegation issues where they like to take full ownership and not delegate. And the people that delegate are the people that have more time to do other things. So it's definitely making sure you transition properly your old job to hopefully uh, the new person that got hired and then properly delegating work that you might get. Have you had
0: any problems with, let's say you were in a role and you had colleagues who were on equal footing, right? In the hierarchy, then you get the promotion and now you're overseeing this person that was once your colleague and maybe you're even friends. Was there any friction there? Does that dynamic, can that throw you off?
1: Yeah, it's happened many times throughout my career for sure. and. Um, You know, I would say it's a little awkward in the beginning, but once you get past the awkward phase, like, let it be known that yes, we are friends, but now this is a manager employee relationship. You you just got to make it work. And if that person can't make it work, then they'll find another job or they'll leave the company. It doesn't mean that you can't still be friends with that person outside of work and do things, but you have to accept the role that now the two people are in and just live with it. And I've had a scenario where I used to be a direct report of my boss. And then later on, I then was the boss of that person. And yeah, it's awkward for a week or two, but you get past it and you get down to business just like it really never existed. Right. You got to be professional.
0: Keep it professional.
1: You got to be professional. Exactly. Well,
0: Randy, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work?
1: Yeah, well definitely. You know, my wife Haley and I wrote the book Row, The Essential Guide to Getting Promoted. It's on Amazon, uh, If You look at Walmart and Target.com. We have all three formats. So paperback, ebook, and now audio version. So depending on how you like to read, we have a version for you. You know, you could find me randy.ornstein at gmail.com or or Just LinkedIn. I don't have a personal website, but LinkedIn is usually where I share information. You know, it's been a long road to write this book, but the feedback has been amazing. And, you know, if any of the listeners out there want to learn more, I'm happy to talk. I've done lunch and learns with suppliers to share more about the book. I'll be talking to different universities in the fall, especially in the Philly area, to students that are going to graduate soon. So it's a perfect book for those people that are about to enter the workforce. It's a book for people that maybe they're stuck in their current job. They haven't been promoted and they need an extra edge. Or it's managers that are trying to get their team stronger. And there's a lot of insights in the book that will make you a better employee, which in, and then will make your company a stronger company. Fantastic. Well, Randy Ornstein, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Oh, it's been great, Brett. Thank you so much. My guest today was Randy Ornstein. He's the
0: co-author of the book, Grow, The Essential Guide to Getting Promoted. It's available on amazon.com. Make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash get promoted, where you find links to resources where we delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com. Where you find our podcast archives, as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years about pretty much anything you'd think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to StitcherPremium.com, sign up, use code MANLYS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android and iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give your a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think will get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, it's Brett McKay. Remind you to not listen to the AOM podcast, but put what you've heard into action.